Have you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of Psychic on the Scene. Much awaited um, and anticipated. Yes. With our special guest, Stephen Ward, came back again to talk to us. And today's topic is UFOs and with me as always is the wonderful D Scott Hi. our technical whiz yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. god for you and my other wonderful co-host Michelle Lyons Polito hey everyone so Stephen thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about actually a topic that we get asked about um quite often yeah. uh, ufos and we didn't have anybody that we could really go to to kind of get the the lowdown um with the <laughs> right with the amount of information that over the years you have studied and accumulated um so thank you welcome back it's great to be, it's great to be wanted back <laughs> yeah, it's awesome so i have always i'll, I'll tell you a story uh quickly um, back when I first started teaching psychic development, and probably said this on another show, I had two groups of adults that I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And so it was probably a total of like 45 people all together. And I had one class where here I'm talking about tapping into your psychic ability, where every time we'd have a class, this one gentleman would try and steer the conversation to UFOs, UFO sightings, abductions. And I was kind of like, you know, people aren't here for that. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, get your ego out of the way. Maybe everybody's here for shit like that. <laughs> so I literally said to this class and some were, some were police officers, court officers, New York state workers, teachers. And I said, just a show of hands of people here who believe in UFOs and want to know more. hundred percent mm. across the board two classes everybody raised their hand and i was like mm -hmm. oh well okay now we gotta we gotta find out more about this don't you think um, it's all kind of tied together into the paradigm yes. so um so steve what started your fascination or your interest in um ufos well it was probably uh i was a uh uh, interested in astronomy and uh, very fascinated by science fiction. You know, I, mm -hmm. I uh, <clears throat> pardon me, grew up, uh, I was conscious, uh, at least toward the late 50s and into the 60s, <laughs> and uh, was uh, 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 very much into television and movies. We, uh, you know, we had a, a great uh, local theater uh, in town called the Radio City, obviously not the original one, but right. they would show a uh, uh, routinely a Western and a science fiction film and a slew of cartoons for 25 cents. I just told you how old I am. Wow. And uh, <laughs> another 25 cents, you could get a big box of butter popcorn. So, you know, <sighs> we, we were in seventh heaven for hours <laughs> and our parents didn't have to worry about us, you know, right, just get them exactly. out of the house. And uh, so I, I always had that interest. And I, I had a, uh, a, uh, a solar system map, a map of the solar system on the wall long before they demoted Pluto to, to obscurity. <laughs> Don't get and, me started. <laughs> uh, and back when they right. thought Jupiter only had 12 moons, now it's got about a million of them. I, I can't even tell you how many moons they, they know that Jupiter has. But, uh, and, and then as time went on, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to the books of uh, Frank Edwards. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, if you can, you can find his books, I think you can still find some reprints. 
Um, he was a, a journalist and a radio personality. He was a colleague of uh, uh, Donald Kehoe, Major Donald Kehoe, retired. Kehoe was the head of NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Oh. And they were kind of a, a, a lobbying organization. I mean, they didn't use the term disclosure back then, but they were really after the government to reveal what they knew about UFOs, yeah. uh, because uh, uh, Kehoe thought that, uh, that the secrecy was dangerous. And he wrote some great books uh, on, uh, uh, on, on, on UFOs, flying saucers, they were still calling them sometimes in those days. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but Frank Edwards had these great anthologies, and that's where uh, I first learned about uh, things like the Flatwoods Monster out of West Virginia, the oh. Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins. Remember those guys in in uh, in Kentucky? That uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Sutton family? No, was it was it uh, uh, the Manor family in Sutton? I think it was. We'll have to have uh, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting the names <laughs> a little confused. But they were. Uh, it was in the mid '50s, and they were. Uh, uh, it was it was classic. One of the guys went out to the well to get water and he sees this glowing light land behind the hill. It sounds like oh, invaders yes. from Mars when the little kid saw the, the flying right. saucer land behind the hill. Right. And he goes in and tells everybody what he saw and they're laughing at him. And and before they know it, these things that are they're kind of like bulbous heads and they they move around like monkeys a little bit. And uh, they some of them seem to float along the ground. They're mm -hmm. they're all over the house, and these guys are shooting up the house. They're shooting through windows and walls. They're terrified. Oh, uh, even <clears throat> eventually, uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek and NICAP got involved with this. This is a great story that has been. They actually have a festival now in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. I think that's what it is. <laughs> and that, by the way, that's uh, the same place where Edgar Casey was born. Oh, or, wow. Uh, neat synchronicity. But uh, yeah. there was there's been some interesting uh, there was an interesting documentary uh, done in more recent years called Monsters of the UFO. And uh, okay. there's been some more recent books written on it. And the thing is, one of the guys, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, they interviewed him. He was a kid when this was happening. Oh, by the way, they, they called in the sheriff. The sheriff came. They verified that these people had shot up the, uh, the house and there were holes in the wall. But of course, right. the, the authorities always get there too late, whether it's in reality or in movies, to see actually see the, the aliens. And, uh, and also, another aside, there are all kinds of uh, strange lights and, and seemingly glowing craft uh, passing over the U.S. at that time. So this wasn't the only UFO sighting. But uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, individuals went, uh, who was uh, I don't know how old he was when they finally interviewed him, but he was a kid at the time. He verified, said, yeah, and we were all terrified. We saw these things looking in windows Jeez. and they, they would shoot wow. them and they would just kind of roll over and, and, and get up and run away. Oh, and uh, uh, and God, so that's he, chilling when you think about that and the amount of the la like the lack of knowledge or technology at the time, thinking about that. We might not be, I mean, we'd be scared of anything looking in our windows or something that was right. not normal, but can you imagine the fear of that era with not having the things that we have now? I mean, they, they said that like these crafts, some of the, the research that I did, these crafts, that, that they would move silently, they would follow them, there would be series of lights in the skies, things that were not their norm that you could say, oh, it was you know, something from um, the Air Force or the drone. <laughs> a drone, right? Something like that, that was silent. And, and, um, and that... this is even really before the, uh, what we might call the 
abduction era with Betty and Bonnie right. Hill being the first major abduction. But the, just the last part of this is he said that after that, he had gone to church every Sunday for the rest of his life after that <laughs> experience. I have to, I'm going to have to find uh, uh, get that reference because that was, there was a guy that was on, uh, that had written a book or had done the documentary years ago was on Coast to Coast AM that told that mm -hmm. story. But, oh. uh, but this, this brings up another interesting point. Um, there, there are very, you know, you go back in, uh, well, 47 is when we, we uh, don't, uh, 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 talk about the modern era of UFOs because that's when Kenneth Arnold saw the yep. almost dozen discs flying over uh, uh, Washington mm -hmm. State and he uh, called them, they said they looked like saucers skipping over water and of course yeah. the, the press dubbed flying. Actually, if you, you can go back to about 1910 or 15, there was a, a farmer in somewhere in Missouri they called what he saw flying saucers. So he really won the prize for the for dubbing for the term flying saucers. Right. So Kenneth Arnold term. was a few decades late. But uh, the thing is that uh, if you go back to that, this era, uh, another, okay, I, you know you know me, I, I go scattered, get scattered all over the place. It's okay. It's too, no, too many that's assigned. all right. We love it. Okay. Uh, I mentioned Donald Kehoe and NICAP. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would, uh, he would write all day and they would talk all day about these strange craft in the sky but they were hesitant to talk about something else that was going on because sometimes they would land an entity or something would step out or maybe somebody be rounding a corner and they'd see this craft maybe on the road or near the road and they'd see little silver suited people doing something mm -hmm. to the craft and, and like oh i'm surprised jump back in the craft and we're gone uh it was another organization the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, APRO, headed by Jim and Coral Lorenzen, two more pioneers in those days. It, okay. It's great. They have, they have reprinted a lot of the uh, original APRO newsletters, as well as many, many other uh, of these uh, grassroots saucer organizations. But uh, they started writing books that, were, that, uh, that fascinated me uh, called uh, Flying Saucer Occupants. That sort of, they wrote several mm -hmm. books like that. And they would talk about some of the classic cases where, uh, again, people would see the craft, they, they would see the entity or whatever. The general point I want to make here is, back in the old days, we had a lot of great, uh, a, a great variety of, of, in quotes, aliens or whatever they, they actually are. It's only been in more recent times that we talk about the greys. Back in the old days, you could okay. seldom find a, I mean, every once in a while, you'd find something that sounds like a gray, but I, I contend that even the uh, Betty and Barney Hill aliens weren't really grays. It, it's almost like, uh, if you look at their, their descriptions of them, it's almost like a gray is a caricature of those mm -hmm. aliens they saw, as if those guys made <laughs> little robots or androids of themselves. That's just my opinion. Oh. Oh. But, but oh, here's, wow. here's where I think the grays came in in mass. And that was uh, late 70s with the advent of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the film, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then in the early 80s with Whitley Strieber's Communion. You remember that striking oh, yeah, picture that was, on the front? Yeah, that was, and, and that yeah. resonated with a lot of people. So it seems now, you know, so what, what does that mean? I mean, if that's a, a correct observation, uh, does it mean that the Greys came in and moved all the other guys out? Because you could, you know, you could seldom find an entity or even a craft 
that looked exactly like another one. We oh. get hundreds of variations, which is maybe, maybe will take us back to John Keel and some of his ideas. But uh, it just seems like uh, the, it, it, and other people think that perhaps the, the phenomena changes or projects itself in different ways. Mm. And there might be something to that because there's quite a, a number of uh, parallels between different traditions of folklore and modern okay. day UFO experiences. In fact, in some cases, if you look at the, uh, the entity, if you were okay. to take, uh, take him his little silver coveralls off and give him a green tunic and a little red cap, in some cases, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. <clears throat> well, and uh, I also, Michelle and yeah. I talked about this, there are, and I'm, I want to touch on this a little bit, but there are so many people that um, during like biblical times, they were talking about these um, beings, angels visitors. that yeah. came, visitors, and, and part of me wonders if, you know, it wasn't an experience back then that they were having with um, close encounters, an alien being. Because it was a light all around them, and even looking back at early um, historical paintings and cave drawings, it's very similar. Oh, and the Aztec carvings, where it looks yes. like one guy is actually wearing a spacesuit. Yep. Right. It's uh, you know, we, we have to be careful sometimes the way we interpret things, mm -hmm. and when we talk about these, you know, <clears throat> these monoliths, these huge blocks that are being moved, I, I wouldn't, you know, completely rule out the the uh, the ingenuity of humans. And they may have had some kind of method or technology we don't know. But on the other hand, uh, it's you're you're right when you when you look at old paintings and so forth. Uh, right. I think it's I think it's pretty clear that whatever this is, and I firmly believe there's more than one answer. We don't there's not one answer to this, mm. but it has been with Good us point. all through mankind, all through, as long as we've been here. The the others, as as Albert Rosales would call them, the others amongst us have been here. And Albert Rosales compiled a, an amazing database of these uh, humanoids or, or, or mm -hmm. entities, whatever you want to call them. And uh, he has uh, he has published them finally in about 15 books. Oh. The last one uh, takes us up to a few years ago. So he's probably about due for another one. The first one takes you from 01 AD all the way up to, uh, I'm trying to remember, maybe 1900. And then the next one is 1900 to 1930. And then the closer they get, the <clears throat> Uh, the fewer number of years they cover. And, uh, hmm. you know, of course, if you go back far enough, like you're talking about, the line really blurs between mythology, uh, entity, folklore, right. and, but there's, there, there is a, a, a thread that runs through these. So, uh, I, you know, I was thinking uh, when, before the show, uh, I don't know if you were watching the secret of the Skinwalker Ranch. Yes, uh, yes, terrifying. Well, remember, <laughs> well, the, uh, what, I, what I would recommend is people check out The uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, a book written maybe a oh. dozen years ago now. I can't remember. Uh, but, you always give me so many books to read. Uh, I know. Well, <laughs> well, Colm Kelleher was one of the scientists set up on that ranch, and George Knapp was the other co-author. He's the guy that's on uh, Coast to Coast AM on yep. Saturdays or Sundays, yeah. and uh, was the guy that uh, brought forth Bob Lazar and, and the mm -hmm. Area 51 story. And uh, they, they, it's, a, it's a fascinating book. And it was when uh, the, the Shermans owned the ranch. They sold it to Bob Bigelow uh, before this other guy got it. And uh, they, they uh, started the Institute for Discovery Science. And so uh, 
anyway, that's the background on that. It, I, the, that book is, uh, there's a lot of books on the Skinwalker Ranch now, but that one seems to be the definitive one. And it will, you don't have to wear socks because it'll knock them off when you read <laughs> it. It's, it's absolutely, I was just listening to it again on Audible and it's oh. just uh, fascinating. But my long-winded point is that on one of the episodes <laughs> in this TV series, they had uh, members of the family of Junior Hicks. Mm -hmm. Junior Hicks was a school teacher a science teacher in that area in the what the Uinta Valley and he uh, he uh, had a good rapport with the the locals and the Native American community mm -hmm. and he got a whole series of reports of what was happening there and uh, Dr. Frank Salisbury took that and wrote a book called the Utah UFO display mm. uh, you oh, open wow. up that book in part of it and it has diagrams of all the different kinds of craft or whatever they really are in a, in a couple pages there that will illustrate mm -hmm. what i'm talking about how you just can't get the same damn craft or the same entity usually reported it's uh -huh. always not always but often very different sometimes you'll get a wave of them in one area where there's a similarity but uh the the variety is astounding and we have to have to ask why is is uh, earth really a grand central station where all these different mm -hmm. entities have shown up and then maybe the grays came in and elbowed their maybe they these guys had to play pay protection money or something like that or get out of our, 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 our <laughs> alien <zone>. mob <laughs> but don't you i mean i would have to think you know as as we evolve or our um ability to see far into the cosmos we'd have to realize that there would be maybe more than one um planet or group of um, entities that would be visiting us. So that's the reason why they look different or they have different crafts. And, um, and even the fact that globally for times that there wasn't communication um, as readily as it is today, going way, way back, mm -hmm. that they had similar descriptions of what these beings were. So it didn't matter if it was in Asia or Australia, right. that, that they were kind of uh, diagramming them or using their primitive um, knowings of it, trying to to communicate what was happening. It, it may it may well be. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Um, now, in all these categorizations of aliens and, and ships and entities and visitors, do you think there are there's a variety of like the good and the bad? Because I've had people say the the grays are bad, and then the the small ones like the green little green men, they're positive energy, and then there's the talk of the prime directive and how they tend to come into um, <clears throat> into our world or into our, uh, you know, we, we actually see them when we're close to like destroying ourselves, like around the Cuban Missile Crisis and, and various times. And, and then there are those that uh, you, you, you know of the contactee movement, the uh, mm -hmm. uh, George Zadamsky and the beautiful Space Brothers and the Venusians and so forth. Right. Uh, and there are those that uh, even if, when you, it's interesting when you get into some of the channeled messages, um, mm -hmm. Of course, some channeling is is nonsense, right? right. But others right. seems to actually come from a higher vibration. Uh, right. But some of it has uh, people that are, are uh, from different generations and different areas that don't know each other have come through with some of the same general messages. And one of them, mm. when you mentioned that the bad guys and the good guys, mm -hmm. the guys from Orion, bad. Oh, the, really? uh, the Pleiades, good. So just remember that if you ever get picked up, <laughs> them, you know, find out what they're 
what their location is. Um, well, <laughs> listen, the, the, if that was during the eighties, I have no memory of it. It could have <laughs> been good or bad, but I'm okay. back. <laughs> That's another show though, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, a good friend of mine, Zelia Edgar, she has a uh, great YouTube channel called Just Another Tinfoil Hat. And, uh, and she did a, uh, she's doing, actually, she's going to be speaking with me at the Van Meter Visitor Festival coming up at the end of September. Mm. And uh, she wrote, uh, her, her talk is going to be uh, based on an article that she wrote for Brent Rain's uh, online magazine, uh, Alternate Perceptions. And it's called Knit Caps and Coveralls. And she deals with the problem of the entities and what they're reported wearing. Uh, sometimes they don't have a breathing apparatus. They can just easily breathe our atmosphere. Other times okay. they're all suited up and have some kind of a helmet or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the, it just gets into the area of clothing, which is also possibly kind of puzzling. Let me just briefly go back to uh, John Keel, who uh, heavily influenced me back when I, when I was uh, going through Frank Edwards and uh, we had that great uh, uh, UFO flap in the, in the mid-60s in, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in Michigan. Right. Uh, I discovered John Keel. And uh, eventually, I, he, uh, I read his book, Operation Trojan Horse. And that was a book oh, yes. that I, I might have mentioned this last time, but I, it was like I came kicking and screaming because I didn't mm -hmm. like the message. And his message was that these things were all connected. Cryptids, UFOs, mm -hmm. uh, 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 psychic phenomena. And he found that certain individuals, uh, it was important that if they had a UFO sighting or, or an encrypted experience, it was important to find out all about them. Because mm -hmm. he found, and his, his catchphrase, and he had these great catchphrases, ask the contactee what they had for breakfast. And what he meant was, ask the experiencer what he or she, uh, all about them. He didn't care what they had, literally had for breakfast. He, mm -hmm. he said that if you find out about their childhood and, and uh, you know, all that, you'll find that they've had uh, repeated experience, experiences with UFOs, or maybe yes. have seen some kind of a strange creature. They've had electrical interference in their house, <laughs> yep. maybe strange visitors, uh, odd phone calls. And I have found that true with a, a, uh, several, some of the people I have spoken to, uh, a lady out in New Hampshire, uh, they, she and her husband had missing time. Mm -hmm. and mm. that using... to me is amazing i just think that that is like the freakiest thing to have missing time oh, no. well she it yeah. really bothered her because they didn't realize it at first they were standing on the porch together and then all of a sudden they realize it's a little bit lighter out because it was early in the morning they're standing a, apart from each other on each side of the porch and this giant triangle craft is so low it's brushing the tops of the trees mm. and then they said well that's interesting and went back to bed how many times have we heard about people having a bizarre experience or, or they even they, they see the, the Bigfoot or whatever, the camera is hanging around their neck and it doesn't even occur to them to bring right. up the camera, you know? So it really bothered her. So she contacted me before she actually made a breakthrough with a hypnotherapist. And so by just asking John Keel style questions, I found out both her sons were experiencing orb phenomena inside and outside the house. They were experiencing haunting phenomena in their house. Uh, she ha saw a that. shadow person uh, moving along the wall. Sounds and, like my house. <laughs> and, and then I asked her the, 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 uh, the money question. You know, I said, look, I know this is going to sound weird, but have you ever seen anything like a Bigfoot or some kind of a undocumented creature? 
And she told me no. And she said, oh, wait a minute. My, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law saw something strange in the property. And they saw it more than once. Oh, and what they described was kind of one of these, you get these one-off cryptids, you know? It right. was panther-like, but standing on two legs. Oh, that thing again. I've heard of that one too. Now, the thing is that if I had been like that kid frozen in the 1960s, enamored with the little silver-suited guys jumping out of their egg-shaped craft, taking soil samples, I would not have ever known to ask those questions. I think, right. I believe John Keel moved us maybe a hundred years ahead mm. in, in, our, in our research. But I have a Steve. Oh, no, I have a question. Uh, yeah. uh, to interrupt you a second, Do you, is there a belief or a sense that certain, not just locations? So, say there's you know maybe something um, minerally. I know that I have heard that um, within the capital region, um, going out towards like Amsterdam and that area, oh, yeah. Waynesburg. I've heard for years that the minerals in the ground actually work to support um, more alien activity. But yeah, is there them. something, right, is there something that has to do with our physiology? Like you were saying, like to ask the questions about what do they have for breakfast? Are certain people almost like seeds from aliens or ancient astronauts? Or are, is there certain people like, you know, RH factor? Um, o positive that they seem to be more keyed into when they well, are, I, I, are I hybrids. So. <laughs> right. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm a very. Uh, I'm not sure about the hybrid thing, but uh, Akil uh, uh, believed that uh, there was a certain percentage of people that were, <clears throat> you know, call them psychic or whatever, that were much more prone to have these experiences. I, I'm not one of them. I, I fortunately or unfortunately, I, I you know, <clears throat> I told the. Uh, Pardon me. <clears throat> I told people that, uh, uh, you know, my wife and I were uh, at the Crescent Hotel one time and mm -hmm. uh, uh, we, uh, it, the, you know, the, the haunting, uh, the, uh, the all the lore about the Crescent Hotel. We yep. took the great uh, two hour tour, you know, uh, <clears throat> almost three hour tour. And uh, uh -oh. you've heard of those. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, about, you know, uh, uh, kids running up and down the hall that aren't really there and, and, and that sort of thing. Well, that night, some I, I was asleep. I, I was I was I have to confess I was on Vicodin because I had hurt my knee <laughs> oh, a, a couple no. days before. My wife had to do all the driving down to Texas. We stopped at the Crescent Hotel on the way, and uh, so man, I was so out of it. I barely got through that that tour alive. <laughs> and so during the night, all of a sudden something pressed down on the bed, and she's looking around to see if it's me shuffling around. No, not me. Mm. So my, 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 uh, my catchphrase, my, my joke about it is it would probably take flesh eating zombies in order to get me to respond to something <laughs> supernatural or, or, or whatever. But yes, uh, Keel found that certain people do seem to be tuned in to uh, this. And he called it, he used a kind of a literary device. He called it the super spectrum that there were, oh, you know, using the idea of the spectrum, but there are other areas that we don't, we can't really catalog or, or understand with our instrumentation. So, uh, and he talked about how uh, a lot of times UFOs, when they, they sort of in quotes phase in, they right. go through the color spectrum as they would, you know, and, and when, they, when they come into visible light, they go through the red, blue, or whatever the proper right. uh, form is, mm -hmm. when they fade in and fade out. So, uh, uh, but he, he also, uh, he was, there was, now his thinking wasn't static. And for a while, he rejected the extraterrestrial hypothesis. 
Later on, he left the door open for it. But hmm. he thought that whatever was going on was simply a natural condition of the planet. And he talked about uh, transmogrifications of energy. Huh. Now, the only other place I've ever seen that word is in the Kelvin and Hobbes comic strips, where <laughs> Space Man Spit gets out his transmogrifier. <laughs> but he thought that perhaps, in some cases, the only objectively real aspect of some of these things were these strange meandering lights, and that people would see them and be programmed somehow, or they would even, they would even morph uh, temporarily into something like a craft or a, 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 an alien. Or mm -hmm. a, he, he, did not, he was not concerned at all about how many portholes it had or mm, if it had right. a dome or not. He wasn't even that concerned about what the critter looked like. He thought that, uh, I mean, sometimes people would see a giant craft up in the sky. Nobody mm -hmm. else would see it. Uh, sometimes people would be in a group. A few people would see the UFO. Others couldn't no, see it, wouldn't. all looking in the same area. Uh, so he thought that perhaps, and, and then he used another term uh, that he borrowed, by the way, from Ivan Sanderson. Remember mm. Ivan Sanderson, the great British naturalist, uh, yep. transplanted to New Jersey, probably best known for the abominable snowman legend come to life. Oh, yeah. He, he wrote some great books on UFOs, the, uh, oh, heck, Invisible Residence and the, uh, oh, well, there's another one. Anyway, good, good, <laughs> good stuff. But he, he, he used the term ultra-terrestrial. And Keel used that, as mm. he, he said, as kind of a literary device, only because he wasn't sure about the, the, the origin of the source of these entities or beings or, or what maybe, maybe just we should call it energy. Um, so that's actually it, probably, you're, that's probably a better term in, in the way yeah. you're describing it as, per, as part of how people perceive it or don't perceive it, that they're not as tuned in to that energy. I will say too, um, see that it, it's um, we I, I said to you that I've really never had an encounter we were teaching I think Michelle was there oh yeah and I I had a class we had two different experiences and the one had to do with we were working with kids that were psychic kids mm -hmm. so we did an outing um, with this group that did UFO sightings and how to spot them as compared to um, what you would think is um, just natural phenomenon like falling mm -hmm. stars or looking up and there was a satellite where people right. might mistake that. So mm -hmm. they had all their equipment. We're all sitting out on blankets and I probably shared this in the last time we spoke, but um, as we're sitting there, not only did we have a ton of paranormal activity, which I would not ever in front of children go, oh my gosh, do you guys see that moving over there? Or somebody right. keeps walking. Right. There was somebody on this because it's a farm somebody was walking in and out. And then finally, somebody else said it said, do you see that person that's walking back and forth over to the side? Right at that moment, after they had discredited within the skies, as we were all looking, they said, nope, that's a satellite. Nope, that's this. We see a, and it was kind of triangular shaped, moving in odd like directions across the sky. Mm, and they yep. said, okay, that's not a registered like falling star <laughs> or a- um, a satellite so it was crazy um that that came up the other thing was we did a class which was all adults and they did a um meditation and they call it like a canoe meditation and yeah. out there you're probably saying like she's butchering this but it was fascinating because i always go into everything 
kind of as a healthy um, skeptic, because mm -hmm. if I haven't experienced it, I want to be open that I'm going to receive this stuff almost purely. Yep. So we did this canoe and you're, you're touching the person in front of you. Basically, you're all sitting like in a line and Barb Nesnik was drumming and we were mm -hmm. supposed to travel kind of astral project, but travel to, I think the above world, correct, yeah, Michelle? Yeah, the upper world. Yep. The upper world. And in this, she actually said, she didn't say it beforehand, but she said that you can um, sometimes connect with um, people of other dimensions yeah. or aliens. How about without having any prompting like that, as people got up and started to share what they saw, probably half the group, Michelle, correct? Yeah. Yes. Saw alien beings that had um, insect, insect, insect faces. faces. Okay, insectoid. Yep. insectoids and they they actually had a sense of peace connected with even though that would be kind of horrifying if you saw that in like an old 1960s horror movie it's a bug. it was because it <laughs> it's a humanoid bug but mm -hmm. it had this feeling of kind of like taking care of us yes and everything was going to be okay they kind Very of true. felt like healers it mm -hmm. was to me steve it was wowing it knocked mm -hmm. our socks off it wasn't what yeah. we expected not at all. Right, Michelle. It wasn't what we expected. Well, and, so. uh, just to give you an idea, there are, there are some examples you can give where these things intersect and you wonder, what is it, a ghost or an alien? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you, you knew uh, of, of Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a great mm -hmm. researcher that we lost a couple of years ago. Yes. Well, she was a friend that I met through the Mothman Festival. And uh, she told me one time that uh, she and some other people were at Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, I was there once, wow. too, and I I might have experienced something minor. Uh, I, I, I was standing <laughs> in the uh, uh, the morgue, and I felt something brush across the top of my head, like fingers or something. Yeah. It could have been a bug. Nothing earth-shattering. There was no, <laughs> uh, no, no, no spirits trying to, uh, uh, you know, possess me or anything, fortunately. But <laughs> as far as we know. Uh, but she, <laughs> she and somebody else, I forget who it was, but they were... When they when they do that, you don't use any flashlights or anything. You just let your eyes adjust to the the dark. Mm -hmm. And yep. they're in a room alone somewhere that these uh, Rosemary and this other gentleman. And the guy said to her, he said, "Rosemary, do you see what I see?" And she said, "Yeah, I think it's a gray." Ooh. They saw what looked like a gray alien in a haunted sanatorium. What the <laughs> hell is that guy doing there? Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, uh, the, uh, whether they're good or bad. There are, mm -hmm. are some, some that, that seem to be very angelic. And you wonder if Keel is right. right, if this is something, he thought there was a very uh, a prominent sort of reflective factor. And if you look at the, uh, the way the, the sightings have progressed over the years, uh, back in the ancient times, the meandering lights were fairy lights. Or perhaps mm. they were sometimes they were witches when their their lanterns on their brooms, well, and, right. uh, or, or or you know, and then they, the lights have changed over the years. Sometimes they're attached with craft or what have you. But uh, there's uh, there there are some cases that uh, seem to be real and physical. And and uh, Bob Pratt, who was who actually was a reporter for the uh, the National Enquirer for a while. Now this is back in the old days. When they actually used to do some serious UFO reporting, he was the one mm -hmm. first one that broke the story on Travis Walton in the Inquirer, 
And I actually, I saw him in the audience at uh, the 1976 MUFON symposium that had Dale and Hynek there. And he, oh, he didn't really? speak, but I, I, I he's pointed out to me that that's the Inquirer guy. And I remember some guy on the panel took a pot shot at the Inquirer and he took issue with it because you know, <laughs> he was doing serious reporting. He wasn't just right. making up stuff like the Weekly World News, you know. But he, right. he they sent him down to uh, Brazil. Brazil was a, it's probably still is a, an amazing hotspot for UFO sightings. There's he, so he much down. footage from Brazil. And yes. if you Google it, it seems like that is like you're talking, like I just said about Dwaynesburg and stuff, but that seems to be a hotspot. And it's right. off the radar, you know, so much stuff that goes on in the right. Spanish speaking countries and in, in, in South America is off the radar for so many uh, uh, people in the US. But uh, uh, he went down there about a dozen times. He wrote this book called UFO Danger Zone. And this oh. is, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, you find these, uh, this is back in the 70s before, you know, pop culture would have in, infected these people. And a lot right. of these were just farmers out in, in rural areas just doing their job. And there's these stories of these guys walking home late at night from town. And this craft would come down, these hooks or whatever the, the, would come and grab them and pick them up. And there was, there's some just really bizarre cases where he's looking up inside the, the opening and he can see what looks sort of like people in there staring down at him. And this one guy, he was able to stop his, uh, his ascent upward by uh, bracing his feet against the edge. And he was able to, uh, wow. to get break loose and he fell into one of these trees that had all kinds of pickers on it. But I don't know what they had in, in, in mind for him. There are several, it, there are just bizarre cases. There are some where people were zapped by some kind of a beam. They call these things chupas and people got very sick from them. I, I don't know cool. what was going on there, but it was uh, even Jacques Vallée did some research there. The great uh, the guy that wrote Passport to Magonia and connected folklore with flying saucers and has written so many other books. And there's another, there's a Cynthia somebody, another uh, Brazilian researcher. So there's something to that. But there's but it's, so it's many very places negative. like that where we would think of being like truly that's, kind that's, of like off the grid. Yeah. And then they find where we didn't realize um, mounds or pyramids mm -hmm. or yeah. temples that how could, if they dated back, you know, thousands of years, how could they have ever been built by man-made tools? And now it's almost like they're coming back or maybe right. that was a landing pad or. I, I, I don't know, but whatever was, has been going, I, I recommend reading the book because it's, it's mm -hmm. an aberration for people that believe totally in the beautiful space brothers. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know, it's very physical. A lot, a lot of the things that Keel talks about are probably legitimate. I mean, there was, there's probably right. is some kind of reflective factor. We can talk about that more, but here's another instance that really pushed me off. I mean, to, to, for, for a while, I completely rejected the ET idea at once too, but I, I no longer do that. I think that there, some of it is maybe not ET, but some other intelligence, you know, call it interdimensional is a term overused, mm. of course, mm -hmm. but, uh, but uh, I was, uh, I'm a correspondent on Mac Maloney's Military X-Files, which is a, a, a lot of fun every week. Mm. Well, he, uh, cool. he had uh, a Bill Ray on. He was one of the original military remote viewers. He studied oh. under Ingo Swan. Now, Ingo Swan was that gifted psychic 
that uh, developed the uh, the protocols for the military to develop mm. the remote viewing program. Oh, and, cool. and, and Bill Ray was the guy that taught a lot of these other famous remote viewers like uh, Skip Atwater and Lynn Buchanan. Yep. So yep. I asked him, I said, well, I, I know that you guys would, uh, you know, they were looking for commie spies and that kind of thing to try right. and figure out, right, you know, for right. the security of the country. But I said, I know you guys were thrown in a, a, a red herring or a straw man every once in a while, sometimes UFOs or, or some really odd thing. Well, the one blind target he got one time was in a, an Argentinian minesweeper. And apparently this was found adrift with nobody on it, if I recall correctly. Hmm. So they remote viewed that. And what he saw, and I've heard about this before from, I think, another guy, uh, remote viewer, Paul Smith. Um, it was it was chaos. There was some kind of a craft or something. The the uh, the water was bubbling and there was something he knew underneath. He got the impression of some kind of entities inside this craft, very yes, uh, clinical and detached, almost like <clears throat> they were conducting an experiment. The the sailors on board were terrified and jumping off this craft. I mean, it was a he said it was it just absolutely terrified him. I can and imagine. so whatever that was. It seems very physical and very real, not simply a transmogrification of energy, you know, mm -hmm. right. and uh, and not positive, very negative. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it, it's you know, it's uh, it, it's so hard to sort all this out. You can go a million I know. directions. And I think you're and, right, though, Steve. I don't forever. think there's one answer. I don't think there is one definitive. You know, um, you brought up something a little bit there. Um, for years now, we've heard that maybe there there's other um, UFOs that are are like in our bodies of water mm, yeah, that, sure. are, that are on the planet themselves that are kind of here, um, you know, seeking information or kind of watching us, but that there there's so much water that hasn't been um, charted right. or that you can even go Lord. to the depths to that they're in. One of the facts that I saw online, um, whether it's true or not, I thought it was kind of interesting that it was one of the first facts. It said, every three minutes across the globe, a UFO is spotted. Mm -hmm. So whether that's reported or not, I thought that was interesting. The other thing that, that um, I've talked about in the past when I was going through that whole shift in my consciousness with teaching psychic development, yeah. um, I had one student who worked for the courts. She said... Um, and it was all around 2008. And she said, um, there's an article that came out in, I think it was the evangelist um, that said really? to Catholics, to Catholics, it's okay to believe in aliens <laughs> and um, that the Vatican would take them. Like if they wanted to convert, you know, if they landed and they wanted to be a part of that, then um, <laughs> the Vatican would take them. Thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then soon after somebody else said, oh, um, the United Nations has appointed a Malaysian astrophysics professor or person that would be sitting on their council um, as a representation um, if there was anything. Basically, it said it was the Office for Outer Space Affairs, but if aliens landed that they had UN representation. This is the dude to talk to them. <laughs> right. Of course, yeah, anytime I hear anything that says Malaysian, I think of Zoolander and, and <laughs> totally off off base. But it's um, I thought those two areas, which you kind of think of as almost being sacred, like nobody's going to pay attention to for them to kind of come out with a public statement 
Right, makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. Did, did you they talk about know? Joe Symington and the and the pancakes last time? I can't remember. I don't no, think I don't so. think so. Okay, that's one. If if we have some time, uh, no, I'm hungry. Yes, <laughs> another one of these uh, things that where all kinds of things intersect. Where you know, I'm 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 gotten to the point where, you know, I was on a, a radio show once, uh, uh, Task Force Griffin. With mm-hmm. Commander Cobra. <laughs> Commander Cobra is one of the guys that's a regular on Mac Maloney's X Files yeah. and a really good guy he was, and a really good uh, show host. He, he asked me, he said, It sounds like you've gotten to the point where you can, uh, you cannot not recognize mm-hmm. patterns and parallels in these things because that's what happens when you, uh, you know, when you, when you uh, make the step beyond UFOs are simply aliens, ghosts are ghosts or maybe they don't exist cryptids or something else in the northwest you know but once you you uh, read a book like ufo's operation trojan horse and then compound the, the pain by reading jacques Vallée's passport to magonia which connects uh, you know a, a folklore to modern day ufo experiences mm-hmm. it's hard not to see these parallels okay joe symington uh early 1960s he's a uh, in, in eagle river wisconsin he is a a chicken farmer by day and a plumber by trade and okay. he's he's finishing up his 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 late breakfast dishes and he hears this god-awful noise like uh, what did you say that like wet knobby tires on a pavement hmm. and uh, i think i think maybe the aliens have gotten a better propulsion system by now but <laughs> when he looks outside he sees this sort of a classic uh, craft it's like two bowls uh, on, you know connected together and there's a door open out there and he can see people inside huh. and he goes outside. It doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to be anything terribly threatening. So he approaches them and he looks inside and he sees uh, people that are in, in coveralls wearing some kind of a cap and, uh, and uh, they're, uh, well, I guess they're, they're relatively short. And uh, one of them hands him a, kind of a silver bowl or chalice same chrome color that the craft is hmm. and he he indicates that he wants water no telepathy no speech just through hand gestures and so simington goes to his his well pumps him some water and brings it to them and uh he's looking in, in the back there it's a relatively small craft but there's kind of a a flameless grill where they're cooking something like pancakes <laughs> and and in exchange for the water, they give them these pancakes. It's almost like the old fairy trick, you know, the, the food mm-hmm. from fairyland. Right. And uh, and then they they take off. Now, generally speaking, I'm going to get into this more. But if this had happened uh, 100 or 200 years earlier, people would have said, "Well, Joe was visited by the fairies, even exactly. though they showed up in this strange metallic uh, chariot." Mm-hmm. But uh, shortly after, now he. Project Blue Book gets into this. Oh, yeah. And they actually analyze the, the pancakes, taxpayers' money to, to analyze pancakes that they, they, they believe Joe's telling the truth, but they think he fell asleep and fell, fell, fell asleep and had a strange dream. I don't know how they how he conjured up the pancakes, but a, a local judge there who also had an interest in UFOs, he knew Joe and he believed Joe was, was being truthful. But right. he, he, he interviewed him for an article and he said uh a little tongue-in-cheek he says well joe what do these guys look like little green men and he says no judge they were kind of swarthy like italians 
<laughs> Italians, <laughs> and, Italians. And maybe a, a secret space program from Italy. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, okay, now John Keel mentions this case in, in Trojan Horse. He talks about a, and I, I haven't found the complete source, but uh, General Spatz of World War II in 49, 48 maybe, uh -huh. he was giving some kind of a press conference. And during part of it, he says, there's no truth to the rumor that Spaniards are flying UFOs or that they're coming from Spain, huh. implying that other people are seeing, you know, in quotes, foreigners. Swarthy. Uh, yes, swarthy. Right. And Keel <laughs> had gotten several reports at that time period where people would see a, a landed craft. Sometimes a very human looking person steps out. And again, uh, the, the descriptions were not very, um, uh, uh, I, I don't know, not very politically correct. <laughs> you know? mm. I mean, right. they, but they would say things like, well, they, they look kind of foreign or, or like, a, like dark foreign types or, or <laughs> European or whatever, right? <laughs> and so uh, very interesting that this threat, and then when you get into some of the men in black lore, oh, some yeah. of the men in black fit ex this, this description perfectly. Uh, another another story. So uh, and then uh, we, I have to digress for a minute because when they analyze the pancakes, um, uh, if you go to Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée, he uh, he quotes extensively a man named Evans Wentz. He was a theosophist. He was uh, he wrote a book in 1911 called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries. He went all Ooh. over Ireland asking uh, uh, interviewing people about their experiences with the fairies, the little people, the mm -hmm. elementals. And yep. these were, you know, real-time experiences, not something handed down by a relative, but something like we talk to people that have seen a, a Bigfoot or a UFO. Mm -hmm. So he would collect all these reports. He said he was told by an Irishman that the fairies drink fresh water. They uh, uh, sure. eat, uh, uh, you know, pure water, fresh meat, but they never take salt. Guess what was the one missing ingredient in the pancakes from outer space? Salt. No sodium. Oh my gosh. I'm not an alien. I love salt. So <laughs> it could be, it might mean nothing. But then there's another interesting thing. If you go into the lore, uh, oftentimes these crafts will be, uh, sometimes they suck up water without any, you know, right. just through gravity or, or whatever. <laughs> Uh, there was a classic case in Ontario where they saw this thing land on a lake and it put a hose in the water and it seemed to be extracting water. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, not, not too many with, uh, where they just go in with a bucket. Well, there is another one, a little bit like Joe Symington. Mid-50s, uh, California, two miners, John Black, and the other guy's name was John also. They're out there for a month. They're doing their job. They keep seeing this strange craft flying overhead. Mm -hmm. Don't know what it is. Maybe military. They don't know. Then at one point, John Black is in the woods. He sees what he thinks is a little kid fishing by a stream at first. He takes a closer look and he sees he, he stays back. But this little kid is not a little kid. It's something different. He's wearing uh -huh. a little suit with buckles on it. Huh. And he's got a bucket and he retrieves some water from the stream. He goes outside this, the, this little patch of forest and he follows him out. And in the clearing is one of these metallic crafts they've been seeing for the past month. This little guy goes up the ladder and brings his bucket of water into the craft. 
So apparently some of these guys just don't have the technology to put a, a, a hose in to suck it out. What, you know, it's just, and, it, and then you get this little guy that looks kind of like a fairy or a leprechaun or something like right. that. So again, you get all these uh, strange experiences where the lines blur. And, uh, you know, in, in, you know, you think every once in a while, you think you've got a handle on something and you don't have a handle at all. It just, it, it, it evaporates. Wow. There is some thought too, that if they were of a higher intelligence, that they would not want to be perceived or seen or remembered. And if they had this advanced technology, then why are we seeing them? But I actually think they want us to see them, to remember, um, so that we become maybe more accustomed to it. That that's why there's certain areas that there's higher sightings, um, or, or simply uh, accept certain frames of reference, which right. may or may not represent what they truly are. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, that makes so, sense. But there's, there's another another thing I want to throw in here. Uh, Keel talk about the uh, paranormal mimicry and the reflective factor. There is mm -hmm. a possibility that uh, where both these things are correct. <clears throat> in other words. Uh, we see UFOs sometimes that look perfectly metallic, uh, strange-looking craft. Sometimes they look like they completely vanish or change shape or do something completely impossible, you know, mm -hmm. that we, we kind of think. And uh, the same with uh, the, some of the Bigfoots in, in the, say, the Northwest, even Ohio, uh, leave footprints. Uh, they, 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 people even find hair samples and so forth. Right. Uh, but then you look at the, the strange Bigfoot reports in Pennsylvania uh, that Stan Gordon researched in his book, Silent Invasion, um, 73, 74, bizarre Bigfoots. So one was shot point blank by a woman that didn't know what a Bigfoot was, called it a big gorilla on her porch mm. and disappeared in a flash of light. Right. Uh, so the idea was that perhaps uh, some of these things are, in, indeed physical real in other words mm -hmm. but there's something in human consciousness there's this reflective factor uh that uh, that mimics it and we get these sort of uh, call them whatever you want psychic projections tulpas uh or, or whatever uh something that's very natural to the planet that we project these other counterfeit entities or, or craft so that's pretty out there, but uh, it is, we do seem to have this, uh, this wide division of uh, stuff that does seem to be more physical, more real, and stuff that is just crazy off the charts, uh, I don't know, ethereal, uh, hard to grasp, hard to, hard to explain. Absolutely amazing. I am... Um absolutely thrilled that we have you on and yeah, and i'm so hoping much, that yeah. our our listeners um send in some more questions because you're just a, a so like a well of information for us i have people um, asking to him for him to talk about the men in black that's okay. been a big um area of interest just from folks contacting me in response i'm fascinated by the men in black i think i said yeah. that about the mothman because the whole community started to see these yes you know, men in black. And I, right. I just, other beyond the show, the movies, it wasn't Will Smith. <laughs> right. It wasn't Will Smith. I just think that it's a fascinating phenomenon in itself. Yeah. Um, even going back with like the X-Files, you can kind of see that with the, yeah. the sure. X-Files group. And if you ever, did you ever watch Fringe? 
remember Fringe? Yes, uh, I did. Yes. That was fantastic. The, uh, the observers were certainly influenced by the Men in Black. Right. Oh yeah, that was awesome. And, and that's that. another another one where uh, some of the now Men in Black, Keel used it as a generic term. It didn't necessarily mean they were wearing dark suits and fedoras, because sometimes uh, people saying that they were Air Force uh officers right. or whatever that mm. would show up and, and oftentimes uh there'd be something wrong the the uniform didn't reflect their rank that they said they were or, or whatever right. uh, almost like and there's there's really bizarre parallels if you go back to the uh in, witches having encounters with the devil that the, the the a lot of the the devil i mean you go back to uh it's nicholas uh remy who wrote mm. uh demonolatry now, mm -hmm. Nicholas Remy was not a nice guy. He got, he's one of these guys that got confessions out of ladies that some of them probably were practicing witches and some of them did do unsavory things, but mm -hmm. some of them probably did, you know, benign things like use crystals or whatever, it, you know, right. just stuff like, yeah, probably not. But, you know, he could get, uh, they had ways of getting confessions out of you. You know, it wasn't oh, just boy. putting the, the the light in your face. Right. But uh, but he found. But they they're, they're, when you go back and look at these, they were uh, they were wearing dark clothes, sometimes uh, hats, and they would arrive on a horse sometimes or whatever. But some of the descriptions are are just identical, and you get in this weird, really again these bizarre patterns. Uh, the the demons when they spoke there they projected their voice sort of outside them because they did not have vocal cords right right so there are some instances where people have had encounters with the ufo pilots where the the voice is maybe coming from a speaker on their chest there was one with uh, uh gary's uh, um, wilcox gary wilcox <laughs> some, German, some, some uh, amazing memory speaking <laughs> german <laughs> Actually, oh. but <laughs> they wanted they wanted fertilizer. That's another thing. Some of the the uh, uh, encounters are nonsensical. Some of the the conversations don't make any sense, and they wonder what well, these are from advanced uh, aliens from other planets. Right. But this guy he, he spoke. It wasn't telepathy. He didn't move his lips. He didn't have a speaker, but it it was sort of projected from him like the the demons of yore you know right. it may not be it may not mean anything at all but uh it, it's just interesting when you uh you really have to look at the past and uh yep. and folklore and uh and, and by the way uh i'm not saying and uh jacques valet wasn't saying and also joshua cutchen has written uh, a book called thieves in the night which is a an, uh, a recent book on folklore and its connections with UFOs. Mm -hmm. uh, none of us are saying that leprechauns are driving flying saucers <laughs> or, that, uh, right. or that UFO pilots used to wear little green tunics and red caps. But it, it's <laughs> sort of suggestion is there's some kind of a third rail, so to speak. It's a, uh, a common denominator, a common source seen or projected differently. That yeah, makes perfect sense to me. That makes it that, that makes a lot. That's just what I was saying about in the beginning about people's encounters with angels, mm -hmm. angelic beings, and it was maybe in their frame mm -hmm. of reference or or filters. It, right. It, it it kept them calmer, but it it seems to be a parallel, like you said, a third rail. That makes a lot I, of sense. I, I've got a story for you. I hope I don't know if I'm repeating myself or not. No, no, no. From the last episode, but how about a uh, a men in black encounter? That was angelic. Oh. Okay. 
That's I was at a, a Michigan MUFON meeting and a, a lady who uh, remains anonymous. We, we, you know, we have these, these uh, we, you sit down for a brunch and you're, the speaker is coming up, but before a, a good hour, hour and a half, you get to talk to these people that have had really bizarre experiences. And this, this sweet little lady asked me, would you like to hear about my man in black experience? Yes. <laughs> when somebody asks you if you want to hear their man in black experience, you say yes. Exactly. <laughs> and I said yes. She, uh, this goes back to about the 60s. She and her husband were just married in the Vegas area. They didn't have a lot of money, so they were, they were hitchhiking. They were picked up in a large black car. She didn't know if it was a Cadillac, as so many of them seem to be. And inside were two men dressed in dark suits and fedoras. And I asked, I said, well, there was there, you know how some of the men in black are, are said to look a little bit odd. And she mm -hmm. said, no, they uh, look just normal people, which kind of, you know, some of the things she said tend me to believe that it was a real story, you know, mm -hmm. she right. really embellished it with all kinds of things. And another thing she said that very few people know about in the literature, she said, you know, it's the funny thing about the dashboard. It had lights on it, flashing lights. It was all lit up. Well, John Keel talks about a couple of those cases in the Mothman Prophecies, where a woman was taken into one of these cars and it had these weird, you know, like, uh, I don't know, uh, more, more flashy than Knight Rider, I guess, right. you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, and so I thought, well, that's, you know, and that, that was unsolicited. I, she did not seem to know anything about the literature. She didn't know about John Keel, uh, Gary hmm. Barker, Nick Redfern, Jenny Randalls. Those are four of the people that, uh, that have written about it. So hmm. they take them on their way and they get to where they want to be let out and they stop. And one of the men turned around and said, you know, I think you should wait a little bit longer. And then they both fell asleep. Oh, so oh. they woke up later. They didn't know how much later. And they thanked them and left. And afterwards, it was the kind of thing like, boy, that was weird. Why didn't we question what was going on at the mm -hmm. time? But they didn't. They went to a small motel. They walked in. The guy behind the counter took one look at them and said, oh, my God, thank God you did not get here any earlier. And she said, well, what do you mean? It turned out that another couple that, uh, that looked a little bit like them, I mean, dressed kind of the same, didn't look identical, but uh, they had robbed a store and they could have, this couple could have easily been mistaken for them if they had arrived earlier. Oh they'd God. already been apprehended and the danger was over. That's insane. So wow. men, sneaky, rotten men in black acting, you know, we've all heard stories of uh, 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 an individual or a group of people that, uh, a mysterious stranger shows up, uh, helps right. them out of their difficulty, and then mm -hmm. they turn around and they're gone. So, uh, you know, make of it what you will. That's but, uh, pretty cool. Are they yeah. angels? What are they? I love that's it. right. I, I think that that's really, really cool. Steve, how can our listeners, again, connect to you or go to where you're going to be? Um, you, you've talked about a couple of different things, conventions and stuff you're going to be at. Um, well, I'll be at the, the uh, list. The, the yes. Mothman Festival, the third weekend yeah. in September, and uh, I will, uh, I'm not speaking there this year, but I'm, uh, I might be a presenter, I don't know, Ooh. but I, I will be a, uh, the tour guide in the TNT area, and I'll be nice. doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and uh, also I'll be speaking at the Van Meter Visitor Festival uh, the last weekend in September, that's, uh, Van Meter is west of Des Moines, commemorates the week of terror that they saw this winged creature back in 1903. Oh, and uh, I will be talking about the Shaver mystery. Talk about the 
creepy shaver mystery with the evil Darrow uh, deep beneath the earth, uh, influencing men, men's so minds and so forth. This is going to uh, be retirement for me, driving around all these. Yes, guys. exactly. <laughs> so neat. They can find me on Facebook, Steve Ward, but you might want to put in Battle Creek to get the right Steve Ward. <laughs> I have a Facebook page called The Phantom Menagerie. You can find me there as well. Awesome. Steve, again, thank you for joining us. You know you'll be back because- yes. I hope so, because this, is, this has been so much fun. These, these two it, it is so much fun for us as well. So thank you again. Thank you, D. Scott, for uh, getting us organized and electronically connected. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Thanks. <laughs> and as always, Michelle, thank you for being my co-host and dear oh, friend. So and thank you to all our listeners. Um, we appreciate so much your feedback and your suggestions for shows. This has opened up a whole new door um, for <laughs> us uh, with, with people like guests like Steve. And um, we're really looking forward to uh, a packed year of really exciting shows for all of you. So make sure you like us, you share us, and you subscribe. And um, stay tuned. All right, all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.